Hey everyone, this episode is dedicated to the memory of Eric Livingston, who passed away shortly after we recorded this interview. His impact on the art and music community across the West Coast and the world has been immeasurable, and we hope you enjoyed this conversation in his memory. Hi everyone, and welcome to Making Ways, the art of music. And we're here with a brand new season. This series is all about the crossroads where music and visual art meet on the Weirder Together podcast network. I'm your host, Rob Goodman, a diehard music fan and an illustrator for bands. I've been creating album covers and designing posters for bands like King Crimson, Ben Folds, and many more. In each of our episodes, I speak with bands and musicians with their visual art counterparts together about the art of music and creative collaboration. We're talking album artwork, posters, stage shows, and collaborations for music videos, TV and film, and so much more. On today's show, we're talking metal and the art of the music of Dead Cross, a thrash metal supergroup featuring vocalist Mike Patton from Faith No More, Mr. Bungle, and Phanamos, drummer Dave Lombardo of Slayer, guitarist Michael Crane from Retox, and today's guest, bassist Justin Pearson, also from The Locust, Headwound City, and Def Club. Justin is joined by artist Eric Livingston, who did all the artwork for Dead Cross, the new album too, and their now highly recognizable multi-limb skeleton featured on the band's first album. He's done videos for the band like the frenetic Seizure and Desist, and his politically charged pencil-drawn pieces now go hand-in-hand with the music and the aesthetic that is Dead Cross. You'll hear Justin Pearson talk more about that in today's episode. And also joining us today is Justin's longtime creative partner, designer Bran Black Moon. Bran is a creative force who has been working with Justin and Justin's acclaimed record label 31G for years. If you haven't heard of Dead Cross, hit play as soon as you can and play it loud. Dead Cross is heavy music made by some of today's most hardcore musicians paying tribute to the music they love, and bringing fans along for the ride. In this conversation, we talk all about the art of the music for Dead Cross, the new record and how the band's artwork came together, the early days of the group and their origin stories, and we deep dive into the creative and collaboration process. We talk about the freedom and unexpected rigidness of creating artwork for metal music, and more of Brand's background and Eric's approach to making artwork and creative direction. And we go deep with Justin about how he collaborates for Dead Cross, his record label 31G, and his projects like Planet B, The Locust, Def Club, and more. Big thanks to Monica at Speakeasy and to Justin for helping to make this all happen. Okay, let's get started with the art of the music for Dead Cross. Well, I thought we would start off and just kind of go around the room with some quick introductions since there's a, a few of us here today. Justin, do you want to kick things off? Uh, yeah, I'm Justin, and I play in Dead Cross, and the other guests are very intertwined in my life <laughs> uh, through 31G, Dead Cross, The Locust, Satanic Planet, Planet B, everything. I'm Brian Moon. I'm a graphic designer and art director type person sometimes i've been working with 31g for like 15 18 years something like that i'm eric livingston 
I'm a all around art goon. I like to draw, I like to paint. Sometimes I make music videos, album layouts, merch designs, stop motion animation. And I'm a lighting designer and do stage production for bands and artists and shit. But I met Justin and I played in a band with him for a little bit called All Leather. And I have collaborated with Brandon on a lot of the Dead Cross stuff with the layout work. That's what leads me here today. Awesome. Talk to me about how the new record came together for Dead Cross in terms of the artwork and the visuals and, and what that collaboration process was like. Eric, in terms of the art and inspiration there, what were the kind of first steps? Well, I had some ideas in mind for, I guess, in a way, kind of progress like the artwork from something that's more of like doodly and thrashy to something that's a little bit more refined, but not like pretentious in a way. At the time, I was really into doing watercolors, right? I was doing these eh, you know, eight by 10 watercolors and really getting into that. My friend showed me some techniques and I used um, just like black and gray gradients. I used tattoo ink. So that's what I use. And I use like, you know, just regular watercolor paper. And so I did a number of drawings or paintings, so to speak. I consider them drawings because I fucking paint like I draw pretty much. But yeah, just kind of like thought up some stuff. You know, I had some ideas and let it grow. Like some of the stuff that I started working on, like I threw away because I just think it was any good. But like I came up with a number of like watercolors that I thought would be rad. And interesting enough, like that kind of happened before any of the music was recorded. And so when they started recording stuff and Justin was like in a place where they're like, well, maybe it's ready, you know, for some artwork and like kind of get the ball rolling on the the record layout and stuff and like make sure it's like it works and everybody's okay with it because you know when you play in a band you know like you have to compromise and you have to discuss and you have to like go around with a bullshit you know like sometimes egos sometimes just like somebody just wants to disagree for the sake of disagreeing you know like all that kind of stuff you know like i've been lucky a number of times where like a band has just been like yes you know like all together and playing in bands like I know how that goes and like that's only happened a couple times in bands that I've played with with visuals songs anything so you showed Justin a few different ideas and Justin did you bring it back to the band and is it always you kind of reaching out to the artists to get things rolling with Dead Cross and and your other projects I mean everything that I kind of like to, to riff off of what Eric just said I mean I think you know we had already had this relationship with Eric and Brand for Dead Cross. So we were kind of trying to evolve from there, but still have like an aesthetic that made sense and also like a lineage. And we were trying to grow from the other two album covers. So the shift from like the primary black to the primary white was a thing that everybody was into and kind of going from like black and white to kind of white and off-white and gold was kind of like this idea. So there was like an idea that we all kind of were behind and everybody kind of wants someone to spearhead things it's easier than all of us like just emailing garbage you know in a thread or whatever and it just gets really convoluted and confusing so i would kind of talk with eric and bran about ideas and then present it to the band and then narrow it down and kind of go from there so i mean i feel grateful that the band trusted me to kind of do the thing because then i know like i'll be completely happy with it and not (laughs) and not have it be like something random no offense to anybody else in the band but i think everybody has like pretty different ideas and styles that they prefer and so we all do have to like you know like eric said no ego and kind of have to like meet halfway on certain things until it starts becoming a full like thought out entity you know yeah and brand when do you start getting involved and you and justin probably have a shared language at this point after working together for 15 years. So are you always part of it or is there a handoff or? 
usually he'll email Eric and I at the same time with like, Hey, we're going to start and get started on this record. I remember this starting like probably three years before the record came out and Eric like threw a bunch of drawings out there. And then we're all like talking about how things worked, how things didn't work. And then the pandemic comes. So everything got put on hold. And then when we came back to it, we kind of had like a different view on it. And then Eric had those watercolors and then, like, with the first record, it's all black. Second record, the front side's black, the back side's white, and then this is more white. But, yeah, JP usually integrates us both on the same emails when we first start talking so that everyone's kind of on the same page and no one's playing catch-up. And then JP kind of has to wrangle up the band to understand what Eric has done and why we're doing what we're doing. Another thing, too, like, that happens... I think in the overall process is like Eric will have all these ideas and brands really good at like placing all of Eric's images in among, you know, the like sort of template. And like at times a separate image might look really good, but it wouldn't be like a square. It'd be kind of like a linear, taller, slender thing. And it wouldn't really look right. You know, so brands pretty good at like just putting it onto a template to show the band and everybody kind of get on board. Cause it, you know, if you just show people like random images, they're like, Oh, that's good. That's good. That's good. They don't at times don't think it out as far as like what the actual completed project will look like. Yeah. See it in the context. So brand, do you, you put together kind of a, a mock-up or a comp pretty early on with Eric's work? Yeah. I have to do like a mock-up of like how the vinyl itself looks, how the center label looks just for them to get the idea because it's, it's a lot harder for JP to be like, here's these images. This is going to be on the center label. They always want to see everything like put together completely. Eric, when did you start kind of getting into the world of Dead Cross? How did you and Justin connect initially? Interesting enough, I went to a show at Bottom of the Hill in San Francisco to watch this band Retox play. And he talked to me about this band, you know, that was coming together that I already heard of and like kind of, you know, what they're all about and shit. He just said, maybe, maybe you could do the art. You know, I'm like, eh, yeah, fuck yeah, dude. I mean, of course. And I was wearing a bomber jacket that I had printed of the skeleton that's on the cover of the first Dead Cross record, the mutant skeleton. And which I revised, I drew again, but it was originally like a design that I sold on some bombers. I don't know, I sold like 30 something of that bomber or something, you know, like out of a bunch of other designs. But like, he saw that one, like he thought that like, that could be really rad. Like, I agree. Like it fits the album cover really well. You know, it's like, it's busy to the point, but it's not like an eyesore. I don't think, especially with the way that, you know, it's black and white and stark, you know, it's like very deliberate and bold. I thought it'd be a great album cover too. Cause like, you know, album covers are something that has always meant something to me. The package always meant something to me, just like movie posters meant something to me. Like all that stuff kind of adds to it. And every once in a while you'll, come across an album or something and that's like it's getting more and more sparse today because everybody wants to be kind of ironic and like i don't know like depth is kind of i think taking a backseat but like people just want to like here's a you know a polaroid of a mattress here's our record you know then you listen to the records like okay it's like a shoegaze band or like i don't know whatever the fuck i can't be stoked on just seeing it and be like gravitated towards it because it doesn't give me enough in my opinion not that minimalism is bad but it's just something that doesn't really speak to me usually when I could tell it's kind of, I don't know, ironic or sarcastic, like right off the bat. So, you know, like I bought records just because of the album covers and I've heard people buying the Dead Cross record 
because of the album cover and realizing like who's in the fucking band I'm like holy shit like Lombardo's in the fucking band like the dude from the locust is in the fucking band you know the dude from fucking festival of dead deer is in the fucking <laughs> band you know uh but yeah i mean like every once in a while you'll be able to pick up an album cover and listen to a record like on vinyl spin it and like it goes hand in hand it just makes sense you know and to me you know like you know everybody's different but like i thought that one really tied it together i remember like when justin sent me like the fucking rough mixes of it and like i went out and skateboarded and i skateboarded for like fucking three hours dude it was like fucking it just it got me really stoked and like it kind of reminded me of like the artwork with the music and stuff kind of reminded me of like a lot of the stuff that i grew up idolizing which was like flyer artwork you know and shit like that like lowbrow fucking like outsider art was the stuff that i really got into first and like some like musical artwork like nick blanco you know like who did all the artwork for his band rudimentary peni i really coveted even though it looks like like a little kid did it but it's like the conviction behind it so yeah i mean all i'm saying is that like sometimes the record art can contribute to like how somebody like experiences a record absolutely justin i mean you've been up to this you know amazing music and and the label for decades now how early in your mind does the artwork and kind of the aesthetic of the overall project start to come into place as the music is developing? I mean, I guess it's a linear process as far as like the band is concerned, the band's aesthetic. So it's not specifically to the record or something, but it's kind of like when the band's happening and, you know, I mean, maybe in my subconscious, you know, when we were working on like the band, you know, right off the gates, we were kind of thinking about what the vibe would be or the aesthetic and, and that stuff all changes, you know, once it's recorded, it sounds different, seems different. Like you got to find the right thing to fit it. And I think we've lucked out, Dead Cross lucked out with both Brand and Eric having them like as like a, an extension of the band, you know, or the music. It's just as important to me to showcase a visual aesthetic that is comparable to the music. So, I mean, pretty early on, I think that all that stuff comes into my mind. It's hard for me to pinpoint and be like, is it in the rehearsal space or the recording studio? I mean, I think definitely in the recording studio, I think about what it would look like, what it would, you know, entail kind of like maybe like how Eric touched upon like the depth, you know, and like some sort of message. And I think for me, you know, when I was younger, like 10 and 11, I was obsessed with Jamie Reed, who is responsible for a lot of the Sex Pistol artwork. And I was, without really understanding at the time, obsessed over his imagery and like how he did it. And I think that it really was unique and kind of had the elements that you needed for like, I guess I use this in air quotes, like punk rock, you know, and, and I think it sort of said a lot. And then, you know, also growing up with stuff like Pusshead and whoever, which also was very informative and influential, you know, just finding out like where I guess each project specifically Dead Cross in this conversation, like where it fits in the world of art, you know, because it could be, you know, like Eric said, like a minimalist photo of something, but like, I don't think it would serve the purpose, you know? And again, like, I don't know how it happens. You luck out or you, <laughs> you don't. And I feel like we lucked out on all of our releases, even coming down to the fact that like Patton doesn't want to include lyrics and we would find ways to like still have the lyrics. Cause I am a big fan of printed lyrics and the album cover still have a way to have the lyrics be present on the record layout somehow. I think that's a really important thing. And you know, just being smart and coming at it in a different way, I think is cool. 
you got to work for it if you want to read those lyrics on any of these three records. <laughs> yeah. Brand, have there been projects you and Justin have worked together on where you're just having trouble kind of figuring out what the aesthetic of the music should be visually? And like, how do you, how do you get there? I mean, is it like vision boarding? Is it just like inundating with ideas and suggestions? Is it like, you know, trying different folks out? How do you match, you know, what is coming out of the speakers? It's hard. I, I also like don't like to listen to the record until it's done, too. I don't like listening to it when I'm starting, which is weird. Why sometimes. is that? I don't know. It's fucking weird. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd want to like hit play as soon as I got like the demos, you know? I feel like it would curb the idea too much. I don't know. It's really strange because JP's always like, here's the thing, don't share. I'm like, okay, cool. And then I'm like, ah, I'm not going to listen to it right now because I'm either like, I can't right now or. I'm at work right now, but like with the Dead Cross logo and the very first graphic, like JP called me at like noon on like a Friday and was like, hey, we have to have a logo for this band and an image by tonight because we have to make tour posters for this <laughs> tour that we're going on in a week. Yeah. Something like that. So like I had one night to fucking come up with what this band was about. So you stayed up all night and, and you got this yeah. logo done? <laughs> and I didn't have a computer at the time either. So I was like, I was at work and I was like hand doing stuff and then scanning it and then running down the stairs, printing it out, fucking up the paper, scanning it again, running back upstairs, using the computer, going back downstairs and printing it again, just all night. But I also like thrive at like last minute shit, procrastination <laughs> that's that's one of my key artistic abilities is to procrastinate to the point where I have to, I have to nail it. You have to deliver, yeah. Yeah. So Justin was actually playing your strengths. <laughs> yeah. Eric, do you have to use kind of a different part of your brain when you're working on kind of the hand-drawn artwork versus more of the designy kind of art direction projects or do you all feel it comes from the same place? Honestly, like here's the deal with me and like with, like Brandon I thrive off of fucking procrastination doing shit last minute. And I think that adds to a lot of the aesthetic of shit that I do. Because if you look at it, honestly, you'd be like, that's really rad. But even if it's like at its most detailed and lifelike or whatever, it's like you can tell that there's a human quality behind it. There's fuck ups in there. And there's like, this was done quickly. You know, like you could look at any music video ever done. You know, look at the fucking Caesar and Desist video. I literally, I drew that, cut everything out of paper and took pictures by hand right over like the paper and like the backdrops and shit in a fucking rv i was living (laughs) (laughs) but i see that urgency in the the seizure and desist video i mean it looks like it was done kind of on a marathon stretch of creative force you know getting pushed out and i hear that in the music too justin i mean there's obviously an urgency in all the music that you put out into the world and certainly in dead cross i mean you know things are taking longer to you know put together and record and produce. But I, I love that matchup of kind of the artwork seeming like this has to be born, has to be put down on the page right now and the frenetic sounds that I hear as well. I think it's like a lot of like kind of highbrow caveman shit, you know, where it seems crude, but there's depth to it that has multiple meanings or serious meanings, you know, and it says something I feel like not to switch records, but even on the EP that we did was great with like Eric's drawings of, of us. I think that's cool. It's rad. Like there is depth in that as well. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Is there something about the punk, hardcore, kind of DIY scene that you think specifically kind of connects back to the art being just as important as the music? Is there some kind of ethos kind of built in there that views it all together as a piece? For me, again, like going back to, you know, I guess Jamie Reed, who did all that Sex Pistol stuff, that was my first time that I really went outside of the actual band and was like, oh, this other person is just as important as the musicians, you know, and they helped create this aesthetic. And I think that's not necessarily limited to just punk and hardcore. I think it's any kind of art, at least with music, the packaging and the artwork is an extension of the music. So, you know, I mean, looking at, you know, Van Halen 1984 was wild, you know, as a kid, like just fucking tripping out on the cover, you know, and I didn't have cool glow in the dark shit printed on it, you know, but it still was like an important aspect that was part of the music. And I think that's cool. Well, for me in 31G, it goes, it goes even deeper. Like, you know, I'm always like trying to figure out ways, like we did a black dice 40 page full color seven inch book, which was modeled after like the little kid books that you would play the seven inch and read along, you know? So like that kind of added element was always something that was on my mind, you know, and not to discredit anybody else in Dead Cross. I think Mike Crane is definitely, cause he's in the, he's deeper, way deeper in the 3-1-G fold because 3-1-G number seven was the Crimson Curse Festival of Dead Deer seven inch. And it's a, you know, the record is square. Like the actual vinyl is just square. You can't get any more fucked up than doing that. Like it's weird and cool. I think Mike Crane and I, my history, like dealing with retox and stuff like that, finding out things that we could do that were cool elements added to the packaging was always very, very important, you know? And I like that, fuck, we have a team of, of people that do all that shit, you know? And it feels good to be able to like, knock it out of the park, you know, first record, second record, third record, just being like, yeah, this shit's great. Brandon, Eric, for you, I mean, is there something about heavy music in particular that the artwork and the visuals kind of augment to help tell that story and, and push it further? I just think it helps make it more like fucked up. Like Eric was saying earlier, like with Ruben Chapini, like I used to go skating all the time. And me and my friend who lived with me when I was like 15, we would rent records from this like 21 year old heroin addict kid. And we'd give him money so he could go buy forties and buy hits. And then he would let us borrow records for like a week. And like he had Ruben Chapini's death church we took it home, we like put it on, and with that first bass tone, we were both just like, what the fuck is this? And then like the art is just insane on those. And then like when I eventually got like a first pressing of that, it has like a fucking gigantic poster that comes out of it. I'm like, this is sick. And that like all those records have like art all the way to the seams. Everything is done all the way to the edges. There's no empty space. For me, like hearing that record. And then like skating to that record, that's what got me going in the direction that I am at now. I think that's like one of the best genres to make artwork for, because if you do it well, you know, if it's syncopated well and it adds to it and like it goes hand in hand, you can listen to the fucking record 
and look at it, then you could really like just jump off a fucking shelf because there's so many fucking like tree font records out there, you know, like so many of something that's already been done a million times. And then you see something that's like very bold in a different direction and you kind of gravitate towards that. I know I did as a kid with very bold record covers and things that like, just like, I don't know, like menacing. Well, like it demanded attention. Eric, I wanted to ask you, I mean, your drawings and your, your paintings are, are wild. I'm curious, there's like an incredible kind of uncensored nature to your work. You know, I can see you're like leaving it all out there on the page and you're pushing what people are accustomed to seeing in, in artwork and music. Is that something you are, you know, really intentional about that you're going to kind of put out imagery that ignites people and, you know, is maybe uncomfortable or is this just kind of what you're putting out there? Have there been bands that are like, hey, I need you to kind of stay away from this or that and stay in this zone? Or do they know when they're working with you just to kind of let you go? It depends. I mean, like, you know, like you're talking about like subversive, like political shit then that's something that can be touchy with some bands. I mean, and obviously some bands it doesn't work with. Some bands it doesn't make sense. More than anything, like, I'll feel good about, like, doing something that, like, other people are stoked on. Then, like, maybe it's not my cup of tea. But it worked perfectly for that. Like, I like that. That coming together is rad. And it also, it's because it's a challenge. It's interesting, though, because metal is, like, and not to talk shit about the metal, you know, aesthetic or community but they only like their shit one way you know and like do not stray away from that but when you do it's like i feel like it's it's success you know when you can redo it and redefine it i think it's pretty good but i feel like justin your music you know that's what shines through in your music from all these years like that it doesn't necessarily fit into certain boxes and that you are pushing you know what can be labeled as metal or or whatever it is. I don't even know if you really want a label on it. I mean, is that intentional in the music that you're making as well? Because I think that's what I hear. Sure. I think that that's a really interesting question because I feel that there's like a constant sort of avoidance of genre or something that's typical. And I think, you know, Mike Crane and I kind of grew up with that. Like we grew up with weirdo, like 90s Spock rock, fucking just annoying avant-garde, I guess, cross-pollination of everything possible, you know? And so if there is ever criticism of Dead Cross, it usually comes from like, this isn't, you know, like Slayer or why is the singer not singing like Faith No More, you know? And little do they know, I mean, for me, and this is like, you know, everybody can like do their research, but like, I mean, you look at any picture of Jeff Hanneman playing in Slayer and he always had like PIL and Dead Kennedy stickers and you know, they were like into cool shit. They were into Bauhaus. They were into like all the rad, you know, Killing Joke and all the informative bands, you know, and same with Patton. I mean, his whole thing was like Mr. Bungle's vibe. And it was always a fucking taking a piss out of everyone and like talking shit and being weird and doing something absurd and zany and wild. But when you hit that sort of mainstream level with Slayer or Faith and More or something, you're bound to have this fan base that's just very one dimensional. And I'm not trying to be a dick. But those people that only like their metal one way, whatever, serious or, or whatever it is, you know, like that's on them because, I mean, I don't know. I think, you know, I grew up luckily exposed to everything, all kinds of absurd shit, the whole spectrum. And maybe that's partially due because it's Southern California or something, you know, we, especially in San Diego, I don't think we didn't have the ability to kind of always have like the cool 
you know, venues and the cool bands coming through here. We had to make our own shit up and we had to do that with no resources. And I think that that's kind of cool because then you start thinking differently. You see the landscape much differently. I mean, and also to both Eric and Brand talked about skateboarding. And I think that's an important thing too, because there was this quote from Ian McKay where he was talking about skateboarding and how it's very important because, you know, people looked at sidewalks as a thing to walk on, you know, but I'm, I'm paraphrasing, I'm probably screwing it up, but like, but Ian said, like, you know, when, when you were into skateboarding, you looked at it as a thing that you could do tricks off of and you could do things to like, you could modify what it was solely meant for, which is a path to walk on. And you could redefine that and you could ollie off it, grind on it, you know, do whatever the fuck you needed to do, build a, a wall ramp, do whatever. And that's something that I think has always been ingrained in like weird art, you know, crossover like thrash music and maybe a little bit straying away from like typical metal, but, you know, you know, look at anything that was in Thrasher in the 80s and early 90s that was dealing with music. And it was always like just bizarre shit. And that was what kind of was pushing forward. I think pushing forward with art in general, which is, you know, music, skateboarding, film, whatever you want to call it, you know, like any kind of platform. But I think that was like the sort of focal point for a lot of us. Yeah, I love that. What's next for Dead Cross and what projects are y'all working on right now and kind of coming up in the near term? Shit, the next for Dead Cross, I mean, I don't know. Mike Crane and I talked about getting together and start to start writing. Um, I, I don't know if we're going to tour, but him and I had talked about getting together and start, you know, start working on new material. So we'll, we'll see. I'm always working on tons of stuff. I mean, even right now, I'm about wrapped up with this new Planet B record, which actually Eric plays sax on one of the songs. Do you know that, Eric? Do you know that you're... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, you mentioned it. You, you mentioned how it. would yeah. Eric not know that he? Uh, did you just grab a recording of him? Or well, so they asked me like if I wanted to play sax on a like song once, and like knowing like them and me and how going back and forth might be just like a logistical nightmare. <laughs> and like Luke, I know he could work with anything. I mean, he could chop it up, you know, chop and screw it. I recorded twenty minutes of just like nonsensical fucking sax, yeah. or the sax that I like, you know, like. Scronk sex. Yeah. So initially, you know, he sent Luke Henshaw from Planet B this huge piece of saxophone stuff. And it actually showed up on the Satanic Planet record first. And so since there was, like you said, 30 minutes of stuff, there's another clip that we used and made a hook or a melody or whatever for the upcoming Planet B record. And it's brilliant. And then there's the daily with Brand and I where I'm like, hey, let's redo this. Let's I need the layout for this or like whatever T-shirt thing or something. And that's just constant, 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 constant stuff. So, yeah, always. Awesome. I also I want to quickly give a shout out to uh, Andy Wallace. Dude, yeah. Who yes. did a lot of work for this fucking record in terms of just like videos and stuff that I saw. I saw some of like the artwork that I did for it. He pulled it out, you know, and like put it in different mediums, you know, like he did a stop motion animation for their song, Christian Missile Crisis, right? Yeah. But also too, like he did a the visualizer video, which I'm not fully understanding the point of visualizers. And I don't think he is either. But Ipecac asked him to do it, but he was able to kind of... Ipecac loves him. <laughs> yeah. loves him. I, I did some of those for the Satanic Planet record just because I was like, hey, these things are on Spotify. They kind of look cool. And then I, then I just stopped. Yeah. <laughs> Bram, what are you working on now? Uh, signs, mainly signs. Signs, day job, the, work? Yeah, yeah, I own a sign company and a, okay. a printing and wrap company. So that's my main gig right now. And then I yeah. do all this stuff after work, at work. I just got done doing the fourth edition of a book for Adam Gennady. And then I'm supposed to be starting 
the third version of JP's book, which we still have to hang out and talk about. Yeah. Eric, what are you drawing these days? What project is due tonight? I'm going to go on a tour soon, but just kind of like trying to do some self-help shit right now because I just came out of a year of like crazy fucking touring and fucking my body up and my mind up. So I'm going to go get some therapy. Sick. Therapy's good. And maybe a burrito. Therapy and a burrito. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Thank you guys so much for doing this. It was great. Oh, it was rad. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe if you dig what we're doing here on this independent podcast. Rate the show, share it with friends, colleagues, and creatives in your life. Visit makingwayspodcast.com to learn about our guests, see the exclusive artwork I illustrated that goes along with this episode, and support what we're doing so we can continue to bring you amazing new episodes at the crossroads where art and music meet. Making Ways is created, hosted, and illustrated by me, Rob Goodman. Audio engineering is by Brian Paik at Pacific Audio. You can find us on Instagram at making.ways. And if you have a project that brings together music and art, I'd love to work together. Hit me up at rob at makingways.co. And check out more of my artwork at robgoodmanart.com. Be well and see you soon. Thanks so much again for listening to Making Ways, The Art of Music.